you would open your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, we'll be in chapter 11 this evening. 1 Samuel chapter 11, let's pick up in verse 1. We'll read a few verses, then we'll talk about it. Then Nahash, the Ammonite, came up and, and encamped against Jabeth-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, On this condition I will make a covenant with you, that I may put out all your right eyes and bring reproach on all Israel. And the elders of Jabesh said to him, Hold off for seven days, that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then, if there is no one to save us, we will come to you. This is a little bit interesting in our story here, and we've been studying through the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, so far, where we've come to is, is we've set the stage, we've said that Israel has rejected God as their king. And instead, they've wanted and they've asked for and they've requested a human king. And God gave them that request, even though it wasn't the plan for them that was best for them. God said, sure, if that's what you want, go ahead. So we've seen Saul has been ordained king by God. And we've seen that Samuel has ordained Saul privately for the pouring on of oil over top of his head. And uh, at the close of chapter 10, and, and last time we met, we saw that Saul was then presented to the people as king. And it was done in a, in a miraculous sort of way. They inquired on the Lord, and it went to which tribe, to which family, to which person. And, and Saul wasn't to be found. He was hiding because he was afraid of his position that he was, had been given by the Lord. But he's brought up, and he's ordained as king. Well, now as we come into chapter 11, things are kind of changing a little bit. In chapter 11, our focus shifts uh, in the beginning here from Saul to what's taken place in Jabesh Gilead. And without a little bit of background, that really means nothing to you. So I need to kind of give you a little bit of background on Jabesh Gilead and what's taking place. Time frame about the time from, the la from chapter 10 to chapter 11 is about a month. So Saul has been presented publicly, publicly to the people about 30 days ago or about a month ago. And here we're, we're focusing in on what's taking place in Jabesh Gilead. Well, where's Jabesh Gilead? What is it? Jabesh Gilead is an Israelite city, but it's on the east side of the Jordan River. Do you remember when the tribes were crossing over to go into the promised land? There were two and a half tribes that said what? We don't want to go in the promised land. We like it over here. It's good. It's good for our cattle. We're cattle people. The fields are green. We want to stay here. So the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh stayed on the east side of the Jordan River. They essentially said to the Lord, we don't want the inheritance over there. We like better what we have. And we've could talk at great length what a mistake that is. You always want what God has for you. Even if it moves you away from what you have, what God has will always be better. But these two and a half tribes decide, no, we're going to stay here. So here's what's going on at the, at the present time in our study in Jabesh Gilead. According to Josephus and even the, some ancient manuscripts, Nahash was oppressing the Gadites and the Reubenites. He was, he was basically going to battle, he was beating them, and he was doing exactly what he wanted to do here, which was poke their eyes out. He, was, he wanted to go around and poke all of their eyes out for those two tribes. And what had taken place, and what we see happening here historically, is about 7,000 people of the tribe of Reuben and of the tribe of Gad have now run, and they're looking for shelter in this city of Jabesh Gilead. So they're trying to hide from Nahash. Now, Nahash, by the way, the name means serpent. And the serpent is trying to, in his focus here, he wants to do what? He wants to bring reproach on all Israel. He wants to destroy God. Isn't that interesting? 
Nahash means serpent, which I don't need to tell you the story of Adam and Eve, but Nahash wants to bring reproach to all Israel or bring reproach to to all the people of God. Times haven't changed, have they? He's still trying to do the exact same thing. So Nahash, basically, we can just kind of set it, sum it up for you. He's come to the people and he says, listen, I'm coming to get you. And the people say, well, wait a minute, we'll serve you. We'll compromise. Don't, don't come after us, we'll serve you. And he says, only, only can you serve me if I poke out your right eyes. I don't want you to be able to do battle against me. I, don't, I, want, I, want, you, I want everyone to know that the people of God have been defeated by Nahash. I want to bring reproach on all of Israel. That's essentially what he says. Now, let me bring it to modern day for us, for you guys, if I can, just for a second. Nahash, the serpent, in his plan of attack, in his plan of attack here, he wants to bring reproach. But there's something interesting going on here. In verse 3, the elders of Jabesh said to him, Can you wait for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel? And then if there's no one to save us, we will come out against you. Why would he want to wait? Why would he be willing to wait? Is there any, any reason for him? I mean, if, if in a battle situation, you've, you've chased them into the city of Jabesh Gilead. They've, you've, they've come to you and said, we want to serve you. In a sense, they're, 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 they're thinking about surrender. They're thinking about giving up. But then they come to him and they say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can you give us a week? Give us a week. Let us send to our people and see, let us see if we can get some help. Let's see if our brothers will come after him. Well, here's the interesting thing. Nahash wasn't worried about that. Because Jabesh Gilead, if you, I got to give you a little bit of background on that city as well. Back in, uh, in Numbers, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, Numbers chapter 19, there was a Levite. And he came and he, and, he, and he had taken his concubine to a city called Gibeah. Remember what happened? The, in Gibeah, the concubine got killed. The, the men of Gibeah killed this, this Levite's concubine. And as he gets home, he decides, this is not right. We're supposed to be brothers. We're, we're supposed to all be Israelites. And Gibeah was a city that was, was, a, was a city within the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, so Gibeah was a city within Benjamin. The Levites stopped there. They're supposed to be able to stay there overnight without any problems. His concubine, which is his girlfriend or his mistress, if you will, we'll just kind of refer to it that way. It wasn't his wife. She gets killed. He goes home. He's appalled. What does he do? Well, he cuts her up, but he sends her in pieces all over the land. The land, the people of Israel are, are, are flabbergasted. They're appalled that, that this would happen in one of our cities, in one of our brother's cities. You're supposed to be able to seek shelter there at night. So what did they do is they decided to gather together. All the tribes came together and they want to rectify or they want to fix this situation. So they went to the tribe of Benjamin. They said, hey, you, you, you know, give us those guys that did this. Give us those guys that killed this woman or abused this woman. We want to take care of them. And the tribe of Benjamin said what? They said, no way. We're not, giving her to, we're not giving them to you. Matter of fact, they came out and wanted to go to war with Israel. Okay? So Israel gathers all of their people to go to war against Benjamin. In a sense, there's a civil war taking place within the nation of Israel. Everybody from all the cities come except one. Everybody comes to do battle with Israel against Benjamin except those men in the city of Jabesh Gilead. You can read that in Numbers chapter 21. I summarized it for you. So when the men of Jabesh Gilead say to Nahash, can you give us a week? We're going to call upon our brethren and see if they'll help us. He's laughing. He's going, they're not going to help you. You didn't help them. 
They're not going to help you. Why would they go ahead, take all you want? Take, take as much time as you want. We already know they don't like you. We already know that you're not part of them. Forget the fact that you just didn't go over to the promised land like you were supposed to and you wanted to stay on the east side of the Jordan River. When they called for your help, you refused. So the chances of them coming to help you, well, that would just be ludicrous. Go ahead, take all the time you want. And then I'll poke your eyes out. That's the attitude he has. Why else would someone in battle give somebody a week to gather more troops for defense? Because he knew they weren't coming or he suspected they weren't coming. Now, I'd say that because I want to try to kind of put this in a, in a, in a plan for us, to, in, a, in a way for us to understand it. Nahash the serpent in his battle plan uses the history of his victims to try to conquer them. Nahash the serpent in his battle plan uses the history or their past failures to try to conquer them. Let me put it to you another way. Satan the serpent bases his plans of attack on you and he'll use your history or your past performances against you, won't he? Same thing we see here in scripture. Nahash is a picture of Satan. Go ahead, call on help. He's not going to tell you. But doesn't Satan do the same thing in our lives? You think things like, uh, you know, when the, atten- when, when the enemy attacks you when, you, when you feel tempted, what do you always hear? Go ahead, you do it anyways. You, you st- that's something you used to do all the time anyways. Oh, those people at church, they don't really like you. Oh, they don't really want you there. They just, they just tolerate you there. How many lies on our past does, this, does Satan bring up when, when we're right in the middle of attack? You're not worthy. You, you shouldn't even go to church tonight. Listen, you missed like three weeks in a row. Why bother going back? They're all going to be judgmental of you. They're not going to want you there. It's always going to be something. You've blown it so many times in the past. What difference does it make? Just go ahead and do it again. You know, what difference does it make? And it's, it's, a, it's a ploy of Satan to try to take your past and throw it up against you, to literally throw it into your face. And that's exactly what's taking place here in the scripture. Nahash is saying, go ahead, call anybody you want. They're not coming. First of all, it'll take you longer than a week to get them here because they didn't have, you know, email and group text messages back then. But if you can get them here, and once you do get in touch with them, guess what? They're not coming because you weren't there for them. So go ahead, take as much time as you want. He's using their past failures to try to put them down today. And how do you think they feel right now? They feel defeated. They feel hopeless. But they're going to reach out, and they're going to try their best, and they're going to put forth a little bit of effort. And look what they do. Then the elders of Jabesh said to him, Hold off for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then, if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. So the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and told the news in the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field. And Saul said, What troubles the people that they weep? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news. And his anger was greatly aroused. So the people of Jabesh-Gilead sent out messengers. That's the way they would get, things, get information back and forth in that day. You'd have to send out a messenger to every town. They'd call a group of people together. They'd give them a message and they'd send it out. That's the way they had to, to, to communicate. So they come into the town that Saul's in. Saul's coming in from the field. Saul's a farmer. He's coming in with his, with his yoke of oxen. He's coming in to, he hears all the crying, and he asks the question like any guy, what, what's all the crying about? What's everybody come, what, why is everybody weeping? Why is everybody crying? What's going on? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. They told him, listen, Jabesh Gilead is under attack. You'd think Saul's response would be, so what? 
Who cares? Look good. They're going to get what they deserve. How many times have you done that? How many times has somebody wronged you or me, and then they need help, and then your thought, first thought is, good, they got what they deserved. And maybe you even go to help them. Maybe you even realize, well, that's not right, so I'm going to go help them. But you're still, your first thought was, good for them. They got what they deserved. That's not Saul's first thought. You see, there's something really cool that happens here. Saul knows that he's been appointed king over Israel. Saul realizes there's a problem, and he sees the weeping going on. But don't miss the most important part here. The Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news. And his anger was aroused greatly. The Spirit of God came upon Saul. His anger was aroused greatly. Listen. Spirit of God, anger? Does that make sense? I thought I wasn't supposed to get angry. I thought that we weren't supposed to. But here we see Saul's anger is greatly aroused. I want, to un- I want you to understand something here. The Spirit of God produced this emotion or this passion in Saul for the people of God and the things of God. The Spirit of God comes upon Saul. It produces this passion in Saul for the people of God and for the things of God. And he doesn't like the fact that God's people, even if they've been wrong in the past, are being underneath of the thumb of Nahash here. It, it, this, this is not a natural feeling. It's not a, it, you know, it's not a, it's not necessarily, well, I guess it is compassionate, but it's not this, this picture of this is, just, this is just who I am. This is, a, this is a man who's going about his business on everyday life. He's not going, well, I've got to build my castle and get my throne ready. He's, he's out in the fields plowing. He hears the problem. The Spirit of God comes upon him. Why? Because he's got work for him to do. The Spirit of God comes upon Saul because God has something that he wants Saul to do. Saul doesn't know how to be a king. He's never been a king. He's not sure what to do next. He's just going on with everyday life. And there's a lesson there real quick. If you, the Lord has put something in your life as a calling, and you know it's a calling in your life, and, it, and the time hasn't come where the Lord's going to bring that to fruition, just continue on about everyday life until the Lord, until the Lord does that thing in you that says, now is the time. For two years, I had to work as a police officer in Florida. I had to continue with all my cases, everything going on normal, knowing at some point in the future, I'm moving. I'm packing up my family and leaving. It was hard to do, to go on with everyday life while I was waiting for the very thing that God called me to do, which was come here and start a church. I knew what he had called me to do. I was sure of his calling, but I couldn't do anything about it other than prepare. I couldn't even tell my job. If I'd have told them I was leaving, they'd have, I, don't, I would have got the worst cases around. I would have, it's not a, it would not have been a good situation. You can't tell somebody you're leaving. When you're leaving, I don't know. Sometime in the next three years, four years, five years, two years. You, you can't quit like that. You've you got to give them two weeks notice and then leave. But here, Saul is just up going about his business. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And I want you to notice a couple things. His anger is greatly aroused. This is, this is a righteous indignation in Saul. This is not he's having a temper tantrum because God's not doing what he wants or somebody's not listening to him or I'm king and you didn't, you know, you didn't yoke the oxen right and you're going to do it the way I say it. This is a righteous indignation. This is an emotion. This is a passion that comes from the Spirit of God. And it's for a purpose. It's to accomplish God's will. Saul could not have, you know, I thought the Holy Spirit was to give us peace. It is, but not in this situation. I mean, he is, not, but not in this situation. Saul's got to go to war. He doesn't need a peaceful feeling right now. And I feel so at peace and right at one with the Lord. And that's not what he needs to accomplish God's will. He needs to get busy. He's got work to do. Now, 
The righteous indignation that comes from the Lord will be used to accomplish the Lord's work. It will drive you to do something to, or make a difference, not just complain about something. Here's what it does. This is a good emotion to have. When the Spirit comes upon you and you look at something and you have passion at something, whether it be anger or whether it be compassion or whatever it is, and it's from the Lord, it's going to drive you to do something about it. It's going to drive you to take steps to accomplish something. It's not just going to drive you to complain about what you saw in the news or what you hear going on around you or what our country's like. Or on, it, it's, going to, it's going to physically drive you to do something. The Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he has this, this drive now, all this thing. I, I wrote it this way. I wrote, the Lord's anger leads to the Lord's work. The Lord's anger leads to the Lord's work. If I have an anger that's coming from God, it's going to lead me to do God's work. Now, how does that differ from anger coming from our flesh? You see, the anger that comes from the Lord is for a purpose. and It's for a passion. It's to get you to accomplish something. The anger that comes from your flesh is a result of usually, you, usually people or somebody not doing something that you want them to do. It becomes a problem of pride. The anger from your flesh is a prideful thing. I want you to do something. You won't do it. Therefore, I'm going to lash out at you. And you should know better. It becomes a prideful issue. This righteous indignation from the Lord is a passion. It's not a pride. It's a passion. It's, it's a passion for God's people. I am not going to stand by and let God's people get picked on is what it is. That's a righteous indignation. That's a good thing. You know, that, that's, that's a positive thing. Now, like I said, the Spirit of God moved Saul to do something about what was taking place. Look what he does. So he, in verse 7. So he took a yoke of oxen, he cut them in pieces, sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be done to his oxen. We saw that before back in Judges chapter 19, 20, and 21. In that story there, I mentioned it briefly with the Levite and his concubine. So Saul takes one of his ox, or takes his, it says here, he takes his uh, yoke, uh, he took a yoke of oxen, which is two ox, or it could be more. Takes the yoke of oxen, he cuts them up, and he sends pieces out to the people in surrounding areas to the rest of the nation Israel. You say, Rob, that's a, little, uh, that's a little extreme, don't you think? Well, that's the way that he was communicating to them back then. This was an extreme message. This wasn't just a, a call for service. Hey, have, we need help in the children's ministry. Anybody want to volunteer? This is a message saying our brothers are being tormented and tortured here, and these are God's people, and we need to do something about it. An extreme circumstance requires extreme measure, and that's what Saul's doing here. He's moved into action because of the Spirit coming upon him. The Holy Spirit comes upon him, it provokes this emotion in him, and then it moves him into action. I'm going to do something about this, and he chops up an ox, he sends it out with messengers, and he basically tells everybody, if you don't come help me with this, we're going to cut up all your oxes too. A little threatening there, but he's, he's, getting, the, he's getting the point across. We need help. Our brothers need help. And listen, and, and by the way, the ox was like a tractor. That's what, they, that's what they relied on. It'd be like a farmer trying to plow a field or farm without a tractor. It'd be like a, you go into the farmer saying, listen, if you don't help me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy all your tractors. All the tractors in the whole area, that's it. We're going we're gonna to do something to them. We're going to make them so they don't work. It would leave a farmer helpless. Okay, fine, we'll come. Fine, what, show us the big deal. But look, he does something interesting. He says, whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel. He has to lump himself in with Samuel here. Why? Because nobody really knows who he is. He doesn't have any credibility. He doesn't have any reputation. 
But Samuel does. Samuel's a man of God. So he puts the word out that you're going into battle with Saul and with Samuel. Assuming, and it's showing here that Samuel is approving of what's taking place here. So he's, he, he's kind of riding Samuel's coattails here for, for a moment. When the Spirit of God comes upon you to accomplish his will, it will move you to action. You won't have a choice but to be obedient. It'll, it'll burden you and it'll, it'll dig on your emotions and it'll move you into a point where I'm going to do something. This is how it looks in your life. Do you have something you're passionate about? Has the Lord broken your heart for something? Is there something that you say, what you just see and go, man, I just, I just, I, I want to do something. I don't know what to do. If you keep praying about it, and if you are really called to do it, you're going to be moved to action because the opportunity to act will always be there. It'll be brought before you if the Lord calls you to do something, he's going to put that opportunity to act right before you. It'll be a simple matter of obedience. And I just, I say that because it's important that there, there could be a time frame in there of a waiting period. You know, see, the Lord, in, in Saul's case here in our study tonight, it's going rather quickly. There's some time that's going quickly. But in your life and in my life to come to Cumberland, I, I, I knew that a couple years before I came to Cumberland. There was a time that, that I had to just be obedient and I had to grow and had to learn and had to prepare until the time was where the Lord says, now I want you to do it. For two years, I read the newspaper up here. I prayed for the people in the articles. I read the, read the uh, uh, what do you call it, when they, their opinions? Uh, when, uh, editorials. I read the editorials and I prayed for all the people that wrote editorial opinions, especially when they were anti-God stuff. You know, I would just spend my time doing that, preparing, waiting on the Lord, saying, when's the right time? You know, and it, it could be a short time or it could be a long time. But Saul here, he's, 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 he's on the move. Cuts up the, cuts up the oxen, sends it out. He's, he's got the passion. He's got the, the ability to do something. He, and now I want to show you something else here in the next uh, verse. It says, And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. The Spirit of God is working in the background to accomplish His will. And I mean that to you to say it this way. The Spirit of God comes upon Saul. It gives him this passion. It gives him desire. He gets the opportunity to act. But before that even happens, the Spirit of God is working on the people. Because it says here, the fear of the Lord fell on the people. They're not coming because Saul called. They're not going to respond because they got a piece of an ox in the mail. They didn't have mail. They're not going to respond just because, hey, we heard Saul's king. He wants, us to, he wants to proclaim something, so I guess we should go follow him. They're coming because the spirit, the fear of the Lord fell upon them. Because the Lord moved them to come. The, when the Lord's doing something, he's doing something in everybody and everything around to accomplish what he's doing. The Lord's moving them to come. And it says they came with one consent. That's a miracle. Can you imagine some, some all right, you're king, you're a handsome guy, you're head and shoulders above the rest, and now you come out and send us a piece of your donkey and say, come on out here, we're going to fight against that city. Jabesh Gilead, they don't, we don't like them anyways. They didn't, they didn't help us when we needed their help. Now you want us to go fight against them? We shouldn't do that. But when the Spirit of the Lord's moving in somebody's heart, they'll do it. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Saul. The Spirit of the Lord's moving in their heart. Listen, the fear of the Lord fell on the people. They came out with one consent, not because of Saul, but because of the Spirit, because of the Lord, because of the fear of the Lord fell upon him. They were provoked to do that by the Spirit. That's why they came out. They come out, verse 8, when he numbered them in Bezik, the children of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000, and they said to messengers who came, 
Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. Messengers came and reported it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. Saul rallies the people. We read here that he gets 300,000 men of Israel, 30,000 men of Judah. He only has a week to do this, remember. Time is of the essence. They send word back to Jabesh Gilead, and they say, listen, by tomorrow, you're going to have help. So Jabesh Gilead says, "Woohoo! having help, great. So they send word back out to Nahash that says, tomorrow, tomorrow we'll come out to you, and you can do to us whatever you want. Tomorrow you come out. You can do whatever you want to us. Verse 11, so it was the next day that Saul put, on the, put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and killed Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. And the people said to Samuel, who is he who said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men, that we may put them to death. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. So they move down to Jabesh Gilead quickly. They split into three companies. They attack and they win. They win. Now, where's Saul standing in front of the people? He's a hero. He led them into battle. He, he, he mustered all the men together. He called them. They sent them into battle and now they've won. And now they even go as far to say to Samuel, where's those guys who said they didn't want Saul to be king? Go get them. We're going to kill them. Go get him, Samuel. We're going to kill him. We're going to show them that Saul deserves to be king, and I don't want to hear anything about it. Go get him. And Saul, look what Saul says. Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished the victory. I want to share a couple things with you. The Holy Spirit comes upon Saul. He's moved to emotion and passion for the people. The Spirit of God moves him to do something about what's taking place. He's The Spirit of God is working in the background against the people while it's all taking place. The Spirit of God is what gave Saul the victory. Saul acknowledges it right there. The victory, it didn't come from their well-trained men. It didn't come from their sheer numbers. It didn't come from, you know, the fact that they had special weapons or special tactics. Their victory came from, and, and Saul says it right there, the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. Remember their original complaint? We're going to go see if there's anybody to save us. Anybody to save us? And the Lord says, I'll save you. I'll save you. I realize you're being oppressed. I realize that these, this, these men, of this man Nahash and his armies, they're, they're rolling through the tribes of Reuben. They're rolling through the tribes of Gad. As a matter of fact, it was believed to be the only 7,000 people who hadn't had their eye plucked out. We're now hiding in Jabesh Gilead. Who's going to save us? The Lord says, I'll do it. And I'll use a man that's willing to be used by me. The Lord says, I'll save you. I'll save you. But notice, and, and it's important, that the Spirit of God gave Saul the victory over the enemy. It's, God's, it's, it's, it's the Spirit coming upon Saul that gave him the victory. It wasn't his masterful mind in, in battle. It wasn't the fact that he, he had some new idea on how to win a war. It wasn't the fact that he had superior weapons. It was the fact that he had the Spirit of God upon him, and it was God's will. That's good news for us. Because when the Lord calls you, 
when the Lord gives you compassion about something and when the Lord calls you to move out and step out and do something about it. And you, and you know the Lord's work and his spirit's working in the background to make, it, make appointments and do things like this that are, that are unheard of. The Lord's, the Lord's pre-planning everything and you begin to go to walk in it, you know you're going to have victory over your enemy. You know that you're going to have victory, but it's also true in, the life, in our life when it comes to sin, isn't it? The spirit of God's what gives us victory over sin. It's God's spirit that keeps us from sinning. It's, it's, uh, Paul put it this way, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For they're contrary to one another. If you're struggling with some sort of sin or some, you know, and, and I hate to use the word sin. Well, no, I don't. I like the word sin. But sometimes we like sugarcoat it and call it, well, it's not really a sin, it's a struggle. It, it's just thoughts. It's just, it's, it's, not, it's not a big sin. It's not a major, it's just something I keep, I keep doing. Back. It's just, I know the Lord doesn't want me to, but I, but I keep doing it. You want victory? It's through the Spirit of God come upon you. Absolutely, that, that's where you're going to get victory from. It, it comes from the Spirit of God coming upon you. When the Spirit of God comes upon you, he will give you, he, in, in Saul's case at this point, he gave him the compassion that showed in anger that he needed to accomplish God's will. He's working all things purposefully. He gives him victory over the enemy. But I want, to notice, I want you to notice something else. The Spirit of God upon Saul gives him forgiveness. Because he forgave those men that were against him. He forgave Jabesh Gilead and, those, and, and what they did. When the nation of Israel needed help fighting the other tribe of Benjamin, they called to Jabesh Gilead. Jabesh Gilead didn't come. He forgave them for that. But then we clearly see as the men, let's put them to death, those that are against you, Saul. He says, no, 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 no. This is the Lord's work here. It's not my work. The Lord's doing something here. I'm going to forgive them. He doesn't hold it against them. What would a normal king want to do? Put them to death. Why? Because they opposed me. You opposed me once, I can't trust you, therefore I'm going to put you to death. The Spirit of God brings forgiveness in somebody's life. It has to, because it makes you like God. It has to bring the forgiveness in your life. If you're resisting forgiveness, you're resisting God. You're essentially saying to God, I know that I'm supposed to forgive, but I'm not going to because I don't want to. Or I'm not ready yet, Lord. You're saying you know better. The Spirit of God says, forgive, and you will be forgiven. There's another thing the Spirit of God does in Saul's life, and it does, he does it in our life as well. We find it in the last couple of verses. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. The Spirit of God will always be working to lead people back to God or lead people to God. You see, this is the celebration. The nation Israel, who's been apart from God, is now coming back to the Lord. They, they, Samuel says, listen, let's go to Gilgal. Let's renew the kingdom there. Let's, let's place ourselves back underneath God. Let's renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal. There they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. They made sacrifices, peace offerings before the Lord, and they rejoiced greatly. The Spirit of God in your life will always, always be leading you back to God, be leading you to the Lord, be leading you to the Bible. 
Anytime you're being led anywhere else, it's not from the Spirit of God. Let me see if I can put it to you this way. If there's something that's leading you away from God, away from church, away from the people of God, it's not the Spirit of God. God's Spirit will always lead you into fellowship with believers. God's Spirit will always lead you to church where Bible study is taking place and where worship's happening. God's, God's Spirit's going to lead you to places you need to be. If you're being led in places that is not where you're supposed to be, if you're being led to do things you're not supposed to do, it's not the Spirit of God leading you there. It's your flesh. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I want to summarize this for you, because I think it's really important. We saw six things that happened to Saul when the Spirit of God comes upon him. Six things. We named them here very distinctly. And the first one was, the Spirit of God produced this emotion or passion in Saul for the people of God and the things of God. The Spirit of God comes upon you. It will produce, he will produce the exact same thing. There'll be, a, there'll be a movement, there'll be a passion for the people of God and for the things of God, for the Word of God. The things that God says, I care about, you'll care about. Because it, it's the Spirit coming upon you. Number two, the Spirit of God moved Saul to do something about what was taking place to his brothers. The Spirit of God literally moved him to do something. It wasn't just, oh, I feel bad. Oh, I feel, it's terrible what's taking place over there. I just can't believe what's happening over in Jabez. Somebody needs to do something about that. Saul says, I'll do it. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to cut up the ox. I'm going to send it out. I'm going to get the people here. I'm not going to sit back and let God's people get bullied like this anymore. I'm doing something. That's the Spirit of God coming upon him. The Spirit of God, at the same time, is working in the background to accomplish his will. You see, it was God's will that Saul would do exactly what he did because God, God wanted to save the people. Who's going to save us? God says, I want to save you. And I'm going to use Saul. At the same time, the Spirit of God was working in all their hearts to say, all right, get ready, because when you get that piece of ox in the mail, I want you to pack your bags, get your weapons together, you're off to battle. And what happened? They got it. They showed up all in less than a week. They gathered 300,000 men. That's a lot of people. An average football stadium is 75,000 people. 300,000 men, 330,000 men, I think it was. That's a lot of people to gather in less than a week without email. But they do it through the Spirit of God. Number four, the Spirit of God is, what, is who gave Saul the victory over the enemy. The Spirit of God is who gave Saul the victory. It wasn't Saul's battle plan. It wasn't his ability. It wasn't the fact that he was a great king and a great warrior. It was God's plan. God's Spirit moved on him to do something and said, I've got the outcome in my hands. The outcome is already predetermined and pre-planned. If you'll just walk with me, Saul, we'll take care of this. Saul recognizes that. The call goes out. He's, the, the, the men rally. They go down for battle. The battle takes place. It's the Spirit of God that gave him the victory. Number five, the Spirit of God coming upon Saul brought forgiveness to his life. Brought forgiveness to his life. The people that came up against him, those haters, those people that said, we don't want Saul as a king. What qualifies him to be a king? How come God made him king? Why, why am I not king? And the man said, let's put him to death. Saul says, no, we won't. These are the Lord's people. Every one of them is the Lord's people. This is the Lord's doing. The Lord's the one that gave us the victory here. The Lord's the one that saved us. You see the outcome? You see the outlook on life when the Spirit of God is involved? If you have hate in your life for somebody, the Spirit of God's not there. Don't you think God should hate the Israelites at this point? 
I mean, after what they've done to him, they just told him a couple chapters ago, we don't want you anymore. We want a king. But Saul says, no, no, this victory didn't come from me. This victory came from the Lord. And he stands strong on it. And those of you that didn't like me and those that you hated me, I'm not going to kill you because there's forgiveness. When somebody wrongs you, how do you treat them? Jabesh Gilead, they didn't help me, so I'm not going to help them. That wasn't the heart at all. They're looking for someone to save them. The Lord says, I'll save you. I can do it. I'll do it. If I was God, and it's a good thing I'm not, I wouldn't have went to save him. I would have said, too bad. You made your bed, now lie in it. There's consequences of sin, Jabesh Gilead, and you chose to stay on the east side of the Jordan River, and you chose not to help your brethren fight, so that's it. You're, you're going to you get what you deserve. What comes around goes around. And that probably would have been my attitude, unfortunately. But don't you see the heart of God for him? The heart of God says, I love you. And I'll, 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 you, want, you want to be saved? You're calling out for a savior? I'll save you. I'll do it. The Spirit of God brought forgiveness to Saul's life. And number six, the Spirit of God will always be working to lead people to God or to back to God. The Spirit of God is working. This whole thing is happening. Why? Because he wants to bring them back to God. That's the whole purpose. Is bring, I want to bring the people back to the Lord. I want to bring the people back to me. Yes, I'll give them a king. Yes, it's not the best thing for them. That's what they want. I'll give it to them. But I'm going to give it to them. But I'm not done with them. I'm not going to give them a king and kick them to the curb and say, good luck. Call me and how, let me know at the end of your life how it went. He says, every time they call, I'll come running. Every time they ask for a savior, I'll be there. The spirit of God comes upon them and, and upon Saul here. And we just see these incredible things take place in his life. We see him get this passion that he didn't have before. He was a farmer. He's out farming. Just let me plow my fields. And he gets this passion for the things of God and for the people of God. And it moves him into this action. And God's working in the background to accomplish it. And the Spirit gives him the victory over the, over the enemy. This enemy that's the serpent, literally. Gives him the victory over the serpent. Brings Saul to a whole new person. I'm going to forgive those people that don't like me. I'm going to forgive that people that don't, have, don't want that part, that Jabesh Gilead people. And it leads Samuel. Samuel sees this circumstance and says, come on, guys. Let's all go back up to Gilgal and worship the Lord there. Let's all go back up and give him praise. And that's where we close chapter 11 with. Now, I have to, before we end, I have to share one thing with you. All those things that the Spirit did in Saul's life the Holy Spirit will do in your life as well. As a matter of fact, these are all symptoms of the Holy Spirit in your life. In other words, if you don't have these things in your life, then you really have to question, do I have the Holy Spirit in my life? You see, the Holy Spirit is given to us to accomplish God's will. That, that's why we have the Holy Spirit. Now you say, wait a minute, Rob. I thought everybody has the Holy Spirit. I thought, I thought that, you know, that, that, that we, the day that we get saved, we all, we all have the Holy Spirit. In the scriptures, and I don't want to go into it too deep tonight, I will at a later time. In the scripture, we see several places where people receive the Holy Spirit after believing in Jesus Christ. And here's what I think happens. Some people, the moment they believe in Jesus Christ, they get this filling or the Spirit comes upon them to accomplish their work. Other people, they believe in Jesus Christ and there's a time delay there. Could be short, could be long. I think that's the way it was in my life. I believed in Jesus long before I had my work and, and the Holy Spirit in my life. And what happens is, not to over-spiritualize anything, but what happens is, when you make the decision, I'm going to follow God, 
and you realize, I can't do that on my own. I need the Holy Spirit in my life to do that. How do I do that, Rob? How do I get the power? Rob, you're saying that not everybody has this same thing, has the Holy Spirit upon them. Well, let me ask you about the apostles. Just briefly, let's just look at Peter for a second. How was Peter doing when Christ was taken up? When Christ was taken up, was Peter gung-ho to start the first church? Not at all. What did Peter actually say? I'm going fishing. In, in the end of John, Peter says, I'm going fishing. And some of the other apostles say, we're going with you. Wait a minute, Peter, you got to go start the Holy Church. Oh, you got to go to the Holy Church. you got to go start the first church. No, I'm going fishing. And that doesn't mean he's going on, a, on an afternoon to you know, blow off some steam. What was he doing? What was, his, what was his career before he followed Christ? It was fishing. He was a fisherman. When he said, I'm going fishing, he's essentially saying, well, I tried this Jesus thing. It didn't work out for me. I'm going back to my old life, is what he said. I'm going back to my old life. And what did Jesus say? Go wait. Go wait for the Spirit to come upon you. Go wait. And then we see in the very beginning of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And then in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches an incredible message where 4,000 people come to Christ. Without the Holy Spirit, he was going back to his old life. In Acts chapter 2, we read the Holy Spirit came upon him. Came upon him. Why did the Holy Spirit come upon Peter and the apostles that day? Because they had work to do. They couldn't start the church without him. They could have never accomplished the, the Bible and the things that we read about. They could have never done any of it without the power of the Holy Spirit. But I want to assure you something. The Holy Spirit is not exclusive to anybody. It's not like, oh, you can have him, but you can't. Oh, you can be baptized in the Spirit, but you, you're just not ready yet. Oh, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're, no, the Holy Spirit's not ready to come upon you yet. You see, Jesus made it very, very clear. And I want to read this to you. And we'll kind of close with this thought. He said, and I'm going to read from Luke chapter 11, verse 11. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, if a son asks for a piece of bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? So he's appealing here to the father-son relationship. If a son goes to his dad, says, Dad, can I have a piece of bread? What's the dad going to say? Sure. If he asks for fish, will he give him a stone? Oh, I'm sorry. If he asks for bread, will he give him a stone? If he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? Would, it, would, it, would a natural father ever do such a thing? No, it'd be, it'd be ridiculous. It's actually foolish to even think that. And then in verse 13 of, chap, of Luke chapter 11, he says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ask him. You see, as I mentioned tonight, these are... These are symptoms, if you will, of the Holy Spirit working in somebody's life. We studied it in Saul's life. But if you're here and you say, well, I don't know if I, I, I don't know. I mean, I do, do I have the Holy Spirit? I don't, I don't know if I have. I don't, really, I don't really have a passion for God's people or God's things. I don't really have, I'm not really moved to do anything for the Lord. I, really, I'm not really, I don't really experience that. Listen, if you want to be, all you have to do is ask the Lord. All you have to do is say, Lord, you bring your Holy Spirit upon me. So that I, can, that I can have these things? That I, I want the passion for your people. 
I want, I want to see people the way that you see them, Lord. I don't want to see people as annoying creatures that always get in my way and get my blood pressure up. I want to see people as lost. I want to see people that needing encouragement. I want to see people that need to hear the gospel. I want to see people that need your love. I want to see people, ask the Lord, can, can I minister to somebody today, Lord? Will you bring somebody across my path to minister to? You see, we have to ask. We have to ask. I believe, and let me just make sure we're clear on this. I'm going, to say, I'm going to summarize it for you real quick. And if you want scripture references, I'll give them to you later. In the New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit in three places in somebody's life. There's three Greek prepositions that we see. We see the Holy Spirit with people. We see the Holy Spirit in people. And we see the Holy Spirit upon people. We see those three places. You can study it for yourself. With, in, and upon. With is the Holy Spirit next to somebody. That word means next to. It means next to somebody. It means you're walking next to somebody. The Holy Spirit next to somebody is saying, hey, turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. When someone believes on Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells them. The Holy Spirit comes into them. We saw that take place in the apostles when Jesus breathed on them. Receive ye the Holy Spirit, he said, and he breathed on them. They received the Holy Spirit inside of them, but they still weren't ready to start the church. They couldn't accomplish what he wanted them to do. Their plan was laid out. His plan was laid out for them, but they couldn't do it yet because they were still in their own power. Did they believe when they saw him risen? Absolutely. They were saved. There was no doubt when he's standing there in the midst of them going, here, stick your fingers in my hands. Look, here's my side that was pierced. There was no doubt at all in their mind that he was risen. But it wasn't until that third place where the Holy Spirit came upon them in Acts chapter 2 where they received the power to accomplish what the Lord had laid out for them to do. So, so important in the life of a believer. The Holy Spirit is with you, he is in you, and he's upon you. When you're a believer, it's all three. It's all three, with you, in you, and upon you. You cannot accomplish, you cannot accomplish God's will without the Holy Spirit coming upon you. And when he comes upon you, there are certain symptoms or side effects that take place, and I certainly can't list them all, but that's exactly what we see taking place in Saul's life as the Holy Spirit comes upon him we see this forgiveness taking place. We see the Lord working. We see Saul's passion. We see that Saul's moved for the people of God and for the things of God. That only comes from the Holy Spirit. You can't fake it. You can't muster it up. You can't produce it on your own. I can remember before, before, I used to try to read the Bible and hated it. It was boring. I didn't understand it. I couldn't get it. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit came upon me that I realized I could. And by the way, there's nothing crazy that happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's not like, you're, you know, in, in Acts chapter 2, they spoke in tongues, but I, I don't subscribe to the Assemblies of God position that says, when, you know, if, if, if you're not speaking in tongues, the Holy Spirit hasn't come upon you. That's false. It's not in Scripture anywhere. You know, the Holy Spirit coming upon you is simply, the whole purpose is not so you, somebody can speak in tongues. It's so that you can accomplish God's work. It's so you can accomplish God's plan for your life. We should all pray this on a regular basis. Lord, fill me up. Bring your Spirit upon me. I pray it every time before I teach. Because I want the Lord's Spirit upon me when I'm teaching. You see, I also have the ability to leave. I have the ability to walk in the flesh and sort of suppress that Spirit that's upon me as well. And so do you. You can say to the Lord's Spirit, you know what, Lord? I'm on my own here. I'm going to go do some things or say some things or think some things or whatever. And you're, you're essentially quenching the Spirit in your life. You're saying, I don't want to follow what the Lord says. I don't want to follow what the Spirit says. I'm going to do it my own way. Don't do that. If you quench the spirit enough, you won't hear it anymore. You won't hear him. It's like living on the train tracks. You ever live, you ever live near a train tracks? 
When you first move into the house near the train tracks, the first night the train goes by, what happens? Boom, you're wide awake. My grandmother lived in the, next to the train tracks. I'd go visit, and I'd wake up middle of the night, every night. By the end of my week there, guess what? I didn't even hear the train go by. The Holy Spirit's the same way. It's that still, small voice. It's that same thing. If you quench the Spirit and you don't listen, don't look for the guidance of the Spirit, you don't listen for it, it's going to be just like that train that goes by. You're not even going to recognize that it's going by. You're not even going to hear it anymore. The Scripture's clear. How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's pray and ask the Lord for the Holy Spirit if you want Him tonight. Father, we've seen the work of the Spirit coming upon Saul. We've seen what it's done in his life. We've seen your plan being unfolded meticulously and perfectly planned out. Lord, we see the symptoms of the Holy Spirit in Saul's life. And Father, we need your Holy Spirit. We want to be moved with emotion. We want to be passionate about your people and passionate about the things that you care about, Lord. Lord, we don't want to be focused on the things of the world, but we want to be focused on those things that you say are important. And Lord, we want, we don't want to just be thinking about it. We want to do it. Lord, may we have a heart to serve you physically, tangibly. The things that you move move us for, may may we make a difference and may we get out and do something with. May we know that your your spirit is at work. May we know that your spirit brings victory over the enemy. May we know that your spirit brings forgiveness in our life. Lord, your spirit is leading people to you. Father, the main purpose of the Holy Spirit, as you've declared in your word, is to lead people to Jesus Christ. The point to Jesus. Father, we need that helper that you promised. Would you just bring the Holy Spirit upon us, upon this place, upon this fellowship, so that we might faithfully accomplish your work. Lord, maybe we've never felt that before. Maybe we've never even given the Holy Spirit a second thought. But Lord, would you just bring him upon us now to change the way that we see things, to change our minds, change our hearts. We read Saul got a new heart, Lord. Maybe that's what we need. That we need a new attitude, a new, a new heart. Whatever it is we need, Lord. May we just yield to that now. In Jesus' name, amen.